want to kick things off this morning with a story. It happened back in the 1990s. I was still at the Gateway Church in Ruidoso. It was Sunday morning. I was welcoming visitors as they came into the auditorium. <laughs> and out of the corner of my eye, I'll never forget seeing his Robin egg blue sport coat. And my first thought literally was, oh, no. <laughs> um, I'll tell you why in a few moments. Most men during that time were not wearing suits at all, let alone sport jackets, let alone a bright blue one. Uh, I had never met the guy, but from a distance, I can tell you this, his persona met me, if you know what I'm talking about. And when we did meet, I know this is probably going to shock you, but in five minutes or less, I'm telling you, at light speed, I was informed of all the reasons why I should know this guy. He was a retired preacher. And in his day, he must have been quite the celebrity because he dropped at least three well-known churches that he had speak, spoken at or worked with. Somehow he squeezed in in that conversation even the record number of baptisms they had at one church just before he resigned. It was painful for two reasons. The experience itself was just awful. But what was worse was a lesson that God taught me through it later. Later that day, in as loving a way as the Spirit could, he relayed to me, Jimmy, you may not own the jacket, but you own the insecurity and the pride that goes with it. Man, I hated to hear that. But oh man, did I need to hear that. Church, if there's one major regret that I have with any of you, it's that you have seen some way, somehow, that kind of pride on full display at times in my life. Man, I hate that about me, and I'm sorry. When I feel the need to make a present impression with some accomplishment from the past, when I feel the need to impress you with who I am rather than investigate who you are, that just makes me queasy. And I'm afraid of sharing that with you. can be a little hard to hear, but I, I, I'm sharing it with you because I can do it really pretty easily from my standpoint because I know all of you struggle with insecurity. I know all of you struggle with the pride that sometimes piggybacks on it. Now, it may not show up in a blue sports coat for you, but it shows up in some type of clothing that you choose to clothe yourself with, and that's embarrassing for all of us. Pride is a popular clothing item, especially in America's wardrobes, regardless of your gender. Now, if you're visiting with us, we're involved in a four-week series in the book of 1 Peter that I'm calling Strangers. And the reason for that title, I think, is pretty obvious because of the times that we're living in. They're just strange. Doing church the way that we're doing church is just strange. Uh, not getting to greet people and hug people. Paul Mosley and his new wife, Michelle, are here all the way from Oklahoma to visit. Normally, they would be in our house. Normally, they would be eating our food. But they're coming from another state. Whoop, morning, shield. We don't know how to do that yet. We're not sure about how to operate in all this yet, and so caution is the order of the day right now. It's just strange. But Peter makes it clear, Christians are called by God to live as strangers in this world, regardless of whether or not we're enduring a worldwide pandemic. He's called us to a strange hope. While the culture may hope in the temporary things of this world, we set our hope on the living Christ, amen, who made this world and is coming back to restore it. That's our hope. But being a hopeful people isn't the only thing strange to be connected to being a Christian. Number two, he called us to be a holy people. We took some time to look at this last week. Now, the Bible sometimes uses words our culture doesn't. And the word holy simply means different. 
It means distinct. It means unique. And Peter believes he has the right to challenge Christians everywhere to be holy for one reason. Jesus is holy, and we're his followers. And just as Jesus was distinct, just as Jesus was unique, just just as Jesus was holy in how he handled slander, so must you be. Just as he was unique in how he handled the truth, so must we be. He asks us to be different when we're attacked. He asks us to be different in how we respect women, men. And he asks women to be respectable of men in how they clothe themselves. But above all, he wants us to be holy in our sacrificial love for one another. Especially when it comes, even when it comes, to loving those who don't love us, our enemies. Listen to the message online next week if you want to hear more about that. But Jesus, when you listen, is basically going to show you that holiness has little to do with a place and has everything to be about being a person that he's asking us to be. He demands that from us. Strong words, but that's exactly what you're going to hear. You must be holy as I am holy, he says. Now, those are two major themes of the letter that Peter writes to strangers in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia and Kerrville. All Christians whom he's trying to convince to get comfortable with being strange here on this little orb of ours. Not fitting in well here. That being odd for God is normal. The new normal, not abnormal. And today I just want to highlight one other quality that Peter reminds us of that Jesus expects in all of his disciples. And here's this week's word. Say it with me. Humble. One more time. Humble. When was the last time that made its way into your vocabulary? Peter says this about humility. All of you, all of us, everyone, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. That ought to get your attention. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, if you've ever wondered what the Lord looks for in Christian wear, there you have it. One foundation item to his closet is humility. And no one wore that with more style than Jesus. Let's talk to him about it, and then we'll dive in. Father, we come to you in the powerful name of Jesus because it is that name that is the name that's above all names. He is the King of kings. We come confessing, professing, he is the Lord of lords. And many of us in this room have placed our hearts and our lives in your hands. We're not the only ones. Oak Park Baptist is trying to do the same thing. We don't know whether they're they're listening to someone preaching or teaching online today or whether they're gathered like we're trying to do. But wherever Oak Park is, whatever homes, whatever buildings, would you please bless their services as well as ours. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Come do your best work among us today. For we ask it in your son Jesus' name and everybody's said. Man, I love the hill country for a lot of reasons. But you know one of the reasons I love the hill country? Goats. I'm telling you the truth. I think they're some of the cutest things God's ever created. And I've seen several up close and personal because we've had several of our kids show them at the 4-H livestock show. But I love to see them, and they're all over the place. You can see some even in town here. Uh, if If you drive by where there's multiple goats, if there happens to be a little bit of a higher place there, you're going to see them playing King of the Hill, right? It's one of my favorite things to see them doing, and I've seen them do it several different times. Now, have you ever done that? 
Have you played King of the Hill? Sure you have as kids. Uh, the rules are pretty simple. If, there's, if all of you are gathered together and there just happens to be a high place, all you do is, is try to get to that high place and you shove and you push everyone and anything that tries to either keep you off of that mountain or prevent you from getting there. Now that's a fun game for a while. Most of the time when it gets played, it usually ends in a little bit of a fuss, doesn't it? Because shoving and pushing and preventing is just a part of the game. King of the Mountain, however, is not a kid's game when it's played by adults. Versions are played in every dormitory, classroom, church, boardroom, and bedroom all over the world. Now, the settings can vary, but the aim is always the same. Get to the top and stay there. Now, when it's played as a pastime, I, I promise you, it can be a lot of fun. But when it's played in real time, most of the time it's anything but. And the simple reason being, since mountaintop real estate is limited, people get shoved around to get there. And rarely in real life is that a game. No, it often can be mean-spirited and painful and demeaning and even at times deadly, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Friend, please make no mistake about it. In real life, if you want to be king, someone's going to suffer. And in his letter to the church, Peter's going to attempt to make us aware pride comes at a high price. And he's going to encourage us, please, don't pay it. Please don't pay it. Now, you would think we wouldn't. <laughs> because as often as we've suffered the pain associated with someone else's pride getting all over us, you'd think we'd be quick to make sure we wouldn't get it on anybody. Because when I say pride, I think we all know the common definition. It's just this. This is what we put on the kids' bulletin. I think it probably fits us just as well. Pride is just making me bigger while making you smaller. Whatever the setting. Just another version of King of the Hill. In a moment, in a conversation, in a game, it's making me bigger while making others smaller. Now, how would I know if I had such an ugly disposition, Jimmy. I'm so glad you asked. It's in my notes that you would, but let's go after that one, all right? How would you know if you had that in you? Well, when you gossip. When you make someone absent small so you can feel big about yourselves, your pride's showing. When you curse someone or belittle somebody and it makes them look small so you can feel big, your pride's showing. When you interrupt or talk over people, you're letting them know that what they have to say is small compared to the big things you have to say in your pride show. When you act big, refusing to ask help for someone because, well, you don't need it, and everyone knows you do, your pride show. When you refuse to change your ways regardless of the damage that those ways are causing in your life and others around you, your pride showing. When someone shares an accomplishment or an achievement and you feel pressed to share how you've experienced something similar, only larger, only bigger, only more grandiose, your pride is showing. Pride's so easy to see, isn't it? No, no, let me rephrase that for the truth. Pride's easy to see in you. It's hard to see in me. That's really the truth. You say, well, Jimmy, if that's true, how do you know if you have this? Well, I've outlined a couple just now, but in his book, Didn't See It Coming, Kerry Newoff outlines a few symptoms I didn't think of. He says, when you're obsessed with your image... How people see you, more so than you are your integrity, who you actually are, your pride's showing. When you're obsessed with comparing yourselves to others, not, not measuring yourself with how you need to grow, but pointing out how constantly they need to, your pride's showing. When you have trouble celebrating someone else's successes, <laughs> your pride's showing. When you keep gifted people out of your life because they threaten to make you look small, your pride's showing. 
When you must have a say in everything, because everybody knows your opinion is crucial to every decision, your pride shows. Church, have you noticed that proud people end up being controlling people? Their thoughts and their ways are always right. Alternative solutions and options are almost always wrong. Maybe right now you're thinking, Jimmy, you're killing me. Wow, that's what pride is. And if you feel convicted of the sickness like I do, of that stuff in me, if you're guilty of wearing the robin blue sports coat like I've worn it, here's the alternative that you could be wearing. Because Peter's going to tell us that only humility can get you out of that and into... Only humility can get you out of what pride got you into. Peter's going to tell us that only humility can get us out of what pride gets us into. That's a clothing of a different closet. (laughs) I'm finding out over the years. Didn't just start with me. A lot of the stuff I'm going to share with this morning has been in my heart for, for, for the last 10, 15 years. But I've got to tell you, it's been a painful journey. It's hard to acquire the clothing of humility, as Peter calls it. And we know what, what humility is. It's just simply the opposite of pride. It's making me smaller while I make you bigger or others around me bigger. How do you do that? The most painful way is humiliation. To be humiliated is to be humbled. But the problem with humiliation is that by definition, it's involuntary. You didn't choose it, it chooses you. Need an example? I'll give you one. Don't really want to, but I need to. When I served as campus minister for the Oak Hills Church in Fredericksburg, one day I arrived at the office of our new location at the event center, and the phone rang. It was my part-time secretary calling from home asking if I'd taken care of a certain task that I promised that I would, trying to lighten her load as she was trying to get out of office the day before. I looked on my desk at a little note that was connected to that request. It was just simply to call a supplier and get some things ordered. And I knew it would take me about 30 seconds to do that, and I hadn't done it yet, but I said, yeah, I did. To save face, I lied. Some might call that a little white lie, but I'm going to call it a lie. I did take care of it about five minutes later. But at about ten minutes later, she called back. She said, I'm resigning. And I thought, well, she's joking because someone had said something or done something that had ruined her day, and they had. It was me. She said, no, I'm serious. I don't want to work for a boss that will lie about a task that has that little significance as ordering some supplies when I'm always wondering what he may be shading the truth on in matters that are much bigger significance. I was humiliated. I needed to be. My pride was more interested in creating an image than acting in integrity. I didn't tell the truth. Regardless of how small it was, I didn't tell the truth. And I was humiliated. She said that she would type up her resignation and have it to me by the day's end. Well, I made a trip out to see her and her husband, and I didn't try to justify or rationalize what I had done. I just confessed it. And just said, my misplaced concern over my image took precedence over my integrity, and I'm sorry. Can you find it in your heart to forgive me and give me a second chance? Both were granted. And for another six months, we worked together as good as any team I've ever worked with. We had to get another secretary because we needed someone there full-time, and Beth just couldn't do the full-time work. So I had to say goodbye to that friendship. I mean, so goodbye to that relationship as far as working together. But we've been friends since then and always will be. But let me say it again. I was humiliated. See, humiliation is one method of becoming more humble. But I'm going to tell you, I don't recommend it. It's pretty weak in point value for those that are around you, especially those that you have sinned against. But it's also pretty weak in the maturation value for the character that you're trying to grow up inside you. 
You see, when you're humiliated, you didn't choose to humble yourself. You were forced into it, and that has a very short shelf life. Now, what I read in Scripture that does last, the humility that does make a difference both in you and those around you, is the kind of humility that's invited. It's the kind of humility that's cultivated. It's the kind of humility that's chosen. Otherwise, it leaves pride in your life. And the humility that's there for a minute, even because of humiliation, begins to flee quickly. Let me share with you three habits that cultivate humility in the heart. It's what I'm learning cultivates it in my life. Three habits of the humble. The first is this. You've got to choose to be grateful. That's a choice you have to make. It doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't happen for children. It doesn't happen for middle school. It didn't happen for adults. In this life, because of the propensity we have within us to be selfish and self-oriented... Gratefulness is always a choice. And if you haven't learned that yet, you need to. I've seen some folks in here with some gray hair that may not have learned that. Gratefulness is a choice. And it is one of the biggest pride busters that there is. And so we read together as a church and Voskamp's books, A Thousand Gifts. We participated as a church in writing down, I think it was 500 things. I went on to write, finish it up and do a thousand the first time I did it. I'm in my second thousand right now in my journal. All in an attempt to heed Paul's words, not to think of myself more highly than I ought. But it's difficult to do. For any of us, as we get older, as we take on more responsibility, and as we have to get out of bed to make a living, and as we have to get out of bed and change a diaper, and as we have to, have to, have to, have to, it's hard to do that. And it always is surprising. I have people sit in my office, and, and, and they've had a rough stretch of life, and they just say they don't want to. And I say, well, none of us want to. We'd all love to just sit by the beach with a Mai Tai and, and just watch the sunset every single day if we could. Well, not always. I'd like to get a round of golf in there if I could. But we, it's hard work living out here. Amen? It's hard work to get out of bed and have a life that's anything. And that's one of the hardest things to teach teenagers. Nobody's going to hand you this when you get out of my house, and you will get out of my house soon. And if you haven't taught them that, they don't get out of your house easily. They don't. It's hard. This sermon isn't writing itself. And sometimes that leaves me thinking the next thought. Go ahead and turn the slide. If it's to be, it depends on me. Now, God can say that, but you can't say it. But I often think it because it feels that way trying to live here. I had to finish college when all the rest of my family dropped out. That was hard. Long hours. Usually six days a week. I've been at this for 39 years now. I've been a part of this career of mine in ministry. It's been hard. Life in the fishbowl is hard. Choosing to stay there is hard. Financially, <laughs> we didn't go to the casino. We put that money in a 401k. We made some decisions about living with less so that later in life we could have more uh, without interest on it. And so a large part of where we're at financially right now has to do with some decisions that we've made. And that feels like we're responsible for those things. It feels like it's me doing it, but praise God, he reveals in his word, no matter what you feel, it's him doing it in me and through me. And we self-oriented human beings need to have that revelation dropped in our laps or we don't know it. And so I'm grateful to God for him letting us know Psalm 16 and verse 2. Because I agree with David. You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I agree with James, the brother of Jesus. In chapter 1 and verse 17 of his letter, every good gift, every perfect gift, it comes from you, the Father that's above. The source of all good things in my life, church, hear me again, is God, no matter what I feel. 
But this sermon didn't write itself. It took nearly 30 hours to put it together. I know that may be shocking to some because of its content, but it takes nearly 30 hours to pull one of these things off, including rehearsal time and all that goes with it. But it originated in God's Word, not with me. It's infused with wisdom from other writers and authors. It's spoken through a vessel He created, a vessel for 59 years that He's given breath to and life and saved me from myself. This job was a gift to me. I didn't purchase it. It continues to be a gift because generous brothers and sisters help provide a living to me and my family through the contributions that come through this church and into my bank account. And these sermons keep coming because of people in prayer who every week lift me up to the Lord and say, God, would you give them a word for us this week? Not to mention the Holy Spirit working in and through it to communicate anything to you that might be of some value. Not to mention that it goes through these demons that are around us trying right now in this moment to steal from you the truth God would love to place in your heart maybe for the first time in your life. God's the only one who gets the glory for anything that good comes out of this. Today or any day, God's the only one who gets any glory that comes out of this that you're looking at that you know is Jimmy most of the time. Every now and then you'll shoot me a text or an email and you'll say, man, that really encouraged me. Thank you. And I try to bring him into this when I return things like this. I'm not trying to deflect your thanks, but I want to say this. Thanks for the high five is what I usually write when you text me. I get to preach on a great team. And the best players are always invisible. Why do I write things like that in letters and emails and texts that you send me saying, man, thank you for that message today. It's because I'm learning my place and I'm trying to live in that place. He deserves all the bigness. I'm the small one. I've got a long way to go from where I want to be with humility, but I'm trying to choose gratefulness. And you know what? It's helping. Number two, another effort that I try to make is choosing the low place. Jesus was having a dinner with the disciples one night, Luke writes. It was in the home of a very important man in the community. And he said, he went on to tell a story at that dinner to the guests around the table. Because he was noticing how each had tried to elbow into the place of honor that night. And he told them, when you're invited to go to a dinner, you go and you sit in the last place, the low place. And then when the host comes, he may very well say, friend, you come up here. Come up to the front. That'll give the dinner guests something to talk about. What I'm saying is, if you walk around with your nose up in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. I love that. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you'll become more than yourself. Solomon would agree. In Proverbs 15.33, he says, Humility comes before honor. Isaiah would amen that when he says, On behalf of God, My hand has made both earth and skies, and they are mine And yet I will look with favor on the man who has a humble and contrite heart. Need an example of that? Paul would be quick to say, "Mm, let me tell you about Jesus. He did in Philippians chapter 2 when he wrote this. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. You love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. You put yourself aside and you help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. He goes on to say, you think of yourselves the way Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God for heaven's sakes, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to those advantages and the status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. 
He became human. Having become human, he stayed human, and it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Not once. Instead, he lived a life selfless, an obedient life, and then died a selfless, obedient death. It was the worst kind. Crucifixion. Now, pause. That's the humbling part. Remember what Peter said. If we humble ourselves, here comes the other part. He will lift us up. Paul continues, because of that obedience, because of that humbling, God lifted him high, and he honored him far above anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago and dead buried, will bow and worship to this Jesus Christ and call out in praise, he is the master of all, to the glorious honor of God the Father. Amen and amen. My friend, choose the low place, because you have God's word on it. You just heard it. If you will, I will lift you up. You don't want to miss out on that. Guys, so get up and change the blowout diaper at 3 a.m. in the morning, all right? Elders, take your turn in children's church. Teens, you volunteer at home. Volunteer, not be asked. Volunteer to do this week's wash, clean the bathrooms, or wash the family cars. Business owners, you take out the trash. You clean up the gum off the floor. Every one of us, offer somebody in your family what they need, not necessarily what they deserve. All of us need to spend time, less time, on our version of the throne and spend more time on his version of the cross. Because I'd like to show you what that looks like rather than me just reminding you of what that looks like. We're all aware that there's been in the news lately a lot of tension over our country, or in our country, over the racial inequality that still sadly lingers in this incredible place of freedom. The story that you're about to see is a story of a Christian brother in Pennsylvania. And I think it's the kind of story that we not only want to hear, but knowing you like I do, I think it's the kind of story that we want to be a part of writing. Let's give your attention to the screen. In a world where everything can change in an instant, one man decided he had no time for grudges. Here's CBS's Steve Hartman with tonight's On the Road. Who could blame Dalen McLee for hating the police? He was falsely accused of pointing a gun at an officer and spent a year in jail before a jury finally acquitted him. Not to mention the countless traffic stops. What happens? Oh, typical running is you just pulling out from your house and you get pulled. No traffic violations. How does it make you feel about police in general? Definitely a lot of animosity as in, you know, if I seen him, I wanted to go the other way. And that was the bitterness he brought to this street corner in Uniontown, Pennsylvania last month. Dalen says he rushed here after hearing a huge crash. There was just a lot of screaming, a lot of chaos. Oh, man, I get chills when I think of it. It was a bad traffic accident involving a police car. Officer trapped inside, gas tank leaking, flames spreading toward the cabin. Another officer who responded to the crash tried to rescue his colleague, but couldn't get the door open. And that's when a lone bystander stepped toward the burning wreckage. That bystander, Mr. Dalen McLee. I don't know how I got that door open. Then I grabbed him out. All of a sudden, the door just gets ripped open. Jay Hanley is the officer Dalen rescued. It's amazing when there's true love in people and they can get you out of something like that, no matter who you are or where you've come from. There should be more people like that. 
And certainly, if there were more people like that, look better. there'd be more moments like this. Finally get to see you, man. I appreciate it. God bless you so much, man. Thank you. Last week, Dalen came over to check on Officer Hanley and meet his very thankful wife. Yeah, she's been dying for a dog. He's a good man, I could tell. That's the other thing they're grateful for. Despite all his run-ins with the law, Dalen still believes there are a lot of good cops worth keeping. No, we're waiting for you to get back out there. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. In times of rage, we often paint groups with a broad brush. But Dalen says at some point, you have to go back and fill in the fine lines between good and bad. Because in that subtlety lies our humanity. I want people to start to look at everybody as Americans and not, you know, he's white, he's black, he's Asian, we're people. And when we start realizing that, things should get better. In a small way, I think they just did. And hopefully the world follows suit. I hope so, man. Steve Hartman, yeah. on the road. God was with us, bro. In Uniontown, Pennsylvania. When the reporter ended that little piece, he quoted Dalen. And he said, in times of conflict, we paint each other with these broad strokes of good and bad. And he said, what we need to do is read between the lines. I think if you read between the lines that he's talking about, you'd find one word, humble, humble. And someone who has good in them humbles themselves to help out with whatever bad's going on in the situation. Isn't that what we've come today to celebrate at the table? Good of all goods came down here, humbled himself, Paul called it. That's the word he used. The big one made himself small so that we could become big and healthy and whole. That's so why I wanted you to see that and just hear another illustration about it. How do you do that? It probably starts with a third thing that I could put as the first thing, but I wanted you to hear the first two. I choose to be grateful. I choose to get low, to get last, to get to be the least. But to do that, I have to start with choosing to get honest with myself about the clothing I'm wearing. Is humility even in the closet? Because that's what Peter's asking us to clothe ourselves with. That we would get small on behalf of someone else who needs us to. To do this, you might have to say, this is a prayer that I often say to God. Not often enough. But it comes from Psalms 29 and verse 3. God, would you please look in me. Search me, oh God. Try and know my thoughts. Help me to try and know my thoughts. I just say it this way because it's in the old King James Version that I learned it from. Search me, O God, and see if there be any, anything in me that doesn't belong there. Any evil, any, any pride, any arrogance, any selfishness. Would you search my heart and see if there's anything in there that needs to be taken out? See, I've struggled with insecurity my entire life. And Satan sometimes has built a stronghold of pride there with obsessive competitiveness and a desire to be acknowledged and recognized and celebrated. So I have to check my motives constantly. I have to pray unceasingly. I have to ask others to sometimes look and see, what do you see when you're looking at my life for the moment? Because I don't want to put on the robin blue blazer ever again. I don't want to make a big deal about me. I'd rather be making a big deal about you. Because you see, there's this great promise that God's given me that if I will do that, he will do the lifting. I don't need to. Now, there are only two of you in this room who never struggle with pride. The rest of us do. So we're asking you, please pray for us, all right? And help us continue to be those incredible examples because I, it is a strange thing to see a moment 
when someone was humble, when they set aside what they felt like they deserved or they needed to help someone else, those, those grab our attention. They're strange. But you know what's even stranger? You know this, seeing a humble person. We've got a couple in our congregation here. They're just, they just reek of humility. Two, the rest of us need prayer and need this word and need this table that we're about to gather around. And so we're going to stand and sing. Go ahead and be standing. A song to one another to help us encourage ourselves before we sit down at this table together. Let's sing with all of our hearts, church. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord.